Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Marty Getz. Now, we've had Marty's daughter, Misha, and his wife, Jennifer, on previously mm-hmm. so if you haven't heard those go check those episodes out but marty for people that don't know who you are can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do people don't know who i am no i'm kidding um <laughs> no my name is marty getz and i uh i sing songs based on the scriptures i've been doing it for wow 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 over 40 years i'm married to jennifer as you referenced and my we have one daughter misha and with Misha, I write songs and I travel uh, and we sing together. Uh, we also sing separately, um, but we, we are having a great time uh, passing, as we say in Hebrew, to, uh, to reference what you just said, Lador Vador, from generation to generation, or literally it's, it means to generation and generation that's what it literally means in hebrew but lador vador is kind of the 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 uh the axiomatic way to say it so we're a family uh ministry business so to speak <laughs> we've been making uh cds and recordings for quite a few years and J- misha herself has a few of her own and probably the biggest venture we ever had was a of something we called live from jerusalem where we how we sang overlooking the city of Jerusalem and uh, we were in the TBN studios there in, in Jerusalem and we had a full orchestra and the, the whole family, her husband, Josh was there, her son, Caleb, and uh, people can check that out live from Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. that's what we do. And in uh, COVID uh, in the COVID world, Every engagement I had when COVID hit this world was canceled. And so we began to, um, just one day, I said to Misha, they were here, Josh and Misha were here. And I said, you know, since we can't, we're not traveling, let's uh, maybe, uh, we can do something from the house. And, you know, maybe just, you know, for people that might wonder where we are. And I, uh, when I said that, I, I was kind of, in my head, it was, I was suggesting that maybe we think about perhaps getting around <laughs> to the idea of considering doing a recording. And Misha said, yeah, let's do it right now. <laughs> so we started and I, I called it just right off the bat house of worship because it's our house and we're going to worship. And so now Tuesday and Friday nights, uh, when we're in town, we do something called house of worship. And we've, we've uh, got a little uh, tribe of people that uh, w- with whom we meet on Tuesdays and Fridays. And we don't meet with them. We meet with them over the computer, but we're having a great time doing it. And it's, and it's reorienting the way we think about what we do, because I think the post-COVID world is a different world than, than the pre-COVID world. Yeah. And so we're adjusting to that. And uh, Jenny and I, are, I know people think Jenny's my daughter, but she really is a contemporary of mine. And uh, so we're, we're to the stage of life where 
we're really enjoying it anew and afresh, what we do. But Marta, you don't just sing songs. They are <laughs> a specific sort of, of worship. And can you, can you yes. tell people yes. listening, what are these songs that you sing? Before you do that, though, yeah. people listening to this might want to go check out your music, go and buy some, support mm-hmm. what you guys do, and maybe listen to you. Uh, where can they do that? Where can they find all these resources? Probably best place to go, martygets.com. M-A-R-T-Y-G-O-E-T-Z.com. And they can find everything there that uh, re- relates to us. They also, uh, Misha's, I, I always make sure I want to get that. I think it's Misha. <laughs> I'll get it for you before we finish. I never know the websites properly, but uh, I'll okay. get it for you before we conclude. But anyway, any, I will, I'll put the write, links you, in the description yes. box. So they'll be there ready for people to go and Perfect. check out. Perfect. Yeah, because she, she has some different uh, addresses. I want to I make sure I get it right. But ours is martygets.com. And if they, and if they on Tuesday, Friday night, want to look at 7 p.m. Central Time America, they, they can look on Marty Gets YouTube or Facebook or even Instagram, we do a uh, we do a little Instagram thing too. So that's okay. how they can find us. Everything right, they want will be there. <laughs> all of it, all of it will be in the description box, so it's there, ready for you to go and find. <laughs> but you know, uh, getting back to the songs, yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to the beginning for that. Uh, I did not want to sing songs of faith by any means. I was not interested in anything having to do with religious music. I was, um, I was uh, raised as a, as a conservative Jewish guy in uh, Beechwood, Ohio. It's a suburb of Cleveland. And my upbringing was not Orthodox, but my grandparents were Orthodox on my mother's side. And on my father's side, my grandparents were observant you know they they were observant of everything jewish they they weren't quite orthodox like my mother's side so so from both sides of the family from my father albert and my mother florence i was raised in a jewish world that's that's it this little jewish suburb of cleveland well it wasn't a jewish suburb but most of the people who lived there were jewish Mm -hmm. but we were all the children of either first generation or second generation parents. In other words, um, my, my mother's parents came over from Poland. So she was a first generation American, but we were really American. So we, we lived, you know, leave it, you know, we had TV shows, leave it to beaver and things like that. We were Americans, Mm -hmm. but the grandparents were Orthodox Jews. So everything we did had a kind of a, a two world mentality. We were raised to know we're Jews and we need to, we need to perpetuate our Jewishness in, in our lives, you know, and, and yet we were fully Americanized. So I was just a a typical suburban kid, but I was bar mitzvahed at 13. I was confirmed at 15, which meant I was just graduating from, Hebrew school. And then I also went on to Hebrew uh, high school. So after school, I'd go to study Hebrew things at my temple. So I had a very, very, very strong Jewish mentality. Uh, 
So fast forward, I had a, well, I have more to say, but uh, I'm going to fast forward to say that my first connection with true, true Christians was my singing partner. I had a singing partner. I could fill in the gaps afterwards, but he was his name was Bert Lloyd, and he uh, became he was a born again believer. He started out just a good old Methodist guy from Altoona, Pennsylvania, but later he he be, in the midst of our doing this singing act, which we put together in my college years, uh, Bert became fully born again. I mean, just filled with the spirit, preaching the gospel, born again. And he he tried to communicate that to me and I would have none of it because the world from which I came, you know, I'm not a youngster. So the world from which I came, my parents, my father had fought in World War II. Uh, we knew about the Holocaust. We knew about Nazi Germany. We knew about how, you know, the world has always tried to wipe out the Jewish people. So... Uh, anything having to do with Christianity was suspect to me. So I rejected it out of hand. But again, fast forward, when I did finally come to faith, and again, we could fill in the blanks, but when I finally came to faith to answer Daphne's question, first thing I did was sit down at the piano, because I was a piano player, basically, a piano player singer, Trying to make my, what I really wanted was a, I wanted to to be like I'm not of this caliber, but I mean you know I have them of a different caliber. I'm just not I'm not a rock and roller. So, but but the world I wanted to occupy was like the world of Billy Joel or Elton John or Barry Manlow. That's where I was headed. That's what I wanted. But when Yeshua. Jesus called me. <laughs> then I sat down at the piano, and the first thing I did was sit down with Psalm 23 because that's the only psalm I knew. And just, you know, just sat down, and I'm at my piano now, so I just went, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. And from that came the whole song, and that was my first song that I wrote as a believer. And uh, I had the good the good blessing of having it actually recorded later by the daughter of singer Pat Boone, a girl named Debbie Boone, who had a big uh, hit called "You Light Up My Life" way back in the '70s. And that was the beginning. So. In answer to Daphne's question, since then, the, the, the most inspiration I get for songs is from the scriptures because they are, uh, they, they are poetry, they are music, they, they just speak that way. And so I've been doing that for many, many, many years. I don't know. I hope I answered that question. Yeah, I've I've heard people refer to you, and I don't know whether you would own this, as a modern-day psalmist. Yes, well, it, yeah, and I, I actually think I said that to someone when they were talking to me about what I did because there, there, is a, there are a lot of worship leaders, you know, fantastic worship leaders, you know, especially in the world right now that sing kind of congregational worship songs and things mm-hmm. like that. And 
And then there are, you know, there are Christian or even Messianic uh, people who are kind of solo artists, you know, that kind of thing. I kind of fit in between. I've never really, I can, I, you know, I do serve as a worship leader often, but truly I think what's happened with me is uh, whatever, however God has used me, it's like brought all of my years of, because when I started out, you know, with Bert, we did a lot of like show showbiz. We did things from Broadway shows and we had a variety show act called Bert and Marty. And so we would stand up on a stage and sing whatever was the, you know, popular pop song. Then we do, we do medleys from West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof. And that was my training. Hmm. So when I, when I finally got to the point where I was a believer, the scriptures to me were so dramatic. They had drama in them, you know, so I sat down and tried to put music to them. So I don't think there are there. I don't think there are that many people who do that, you know, to actually use the scriptures as the text, so to speak, of, of mm-hmm. their songs. There are a lot of people who reference scripture. But to me, I'm trying to I'm trying to accompany the scripture with the music, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that um, your friend Bert was a, a Christian, yes. and yes. early days were some difficult conversations uh, about <laughs> Christianity yes. uh, and with you. And maybe some people don't know some of that history of Christians yeah. and the Jewish people. Um, yeah. What was it? Maybe you could just touch on some of that. Why is that conversation so difficult? And yeah. what was it that in time? open made you more open to that conversation to to the point where you ended up becoming a messianic jew what what was mm-hmm. it that helped you cross that hurdle well in regard to what's happened to our to our people jewish people uh you know i know that you know dr michael brown he wrote a, a classic book called our hands are stained with blood hmm. which is not available on martygets.com but you can find it in anywhere and it tells the history of the Jewish people and the Christian people. Now, when I say Christian, I mean, well, to put it simply, I'm not a scholar in this area, but what I discovered in 1978 was that Jesus was for the Jews. I didn't even know he had a name, Yeshua. I didn't even know that. There were, that I never heard the word Yeshua. I only knew that, you know, I often joke with people that, uh, you know, all I knew was that Mr. and Mrs. Christ had a little boy named Jesus. And ever since he was born, it's been nothing but trouble for the Jews. Excuse mm. my, my phone ringing. But that's that's how we, we looked at it. And why did we look at that that way? Because the gospel, the good news of Yeshua, the man from Nazareth and from Bethlehem who walked among us, did miracles, and uh, people recognized as Mashiach, as Messiah, and was delivered up to the Romans to be crucified, was buried and rose again, and now sits at the right hand of his father. That's the gospel message. Um, he was the he was the king of the Jews, 
And, but no one ever tells you that you don't, you know, you think I, my best friend in high school was Catholic and I would go to his house and on his wall was a crucifix with Jesus on the crucifix. That to me was foreign, so foreign, but who knew at that time that at the, over his head, it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. I didn't know that. No one ever tells you that. And, you know, you go to the art museum in Cleveland and you'd see there's the, you know, Jesus and the disciples sitting around the table at the Last Supper. Who knew that that was a Passover Seder? I didn't know that was a Passover Seder. So all that to say is Jews, for the most part, at least in my generation, we were completely ignorant that the gospel, the good news of Yeshua, was first to the Jewish people. None of us were aware that the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, as Paul says, as Saul of Tarsus says, is to the Jew first. We didn't know that. So we grew up knowing that in history, now I didn't know this, but you know, so. When the Jewish, when the Jews who were basically the believers in the early days of the, of, of the faith, when they began to turn, you know, in a sense, when the, when the people from the nations, the gen, what we call Gentiles, which just means nations, joined that Jewish remnant, the more time went on, little by little, the prejudice from that world was brought in and they tried to de-Judaize our faith. And again, there's people better than I to tell the history, but suffice it to say that since the time of like, as, as far back as the 100s after Yeshua, and certainly in the 300s around the time of Constantine, the church separated from its Jewish roots almost completely. So by the time it got to a Jewish kid from Cleveland, Ohio, there was no connection to the faith of, of, the, of, of Yeshua on any level. We didn't know anything about it. We didn't want to know about it. So the conversations with Bert, I didn't come from any intellectual place. I didn't come from a place of understanding anything. All I knew was Jews do not believe that. Mm. And I'm not going to believe that because, again, as I said before, I'm of the generation that I knew just a few years before I came on the planet, they tried to wipe us out completely, you know, killing the six million and and, and God knows how before that, how many acts of anti-Semitism have been perpetrated against the Jews. So it was a, a non-starter for me, completely. But there's an interesting passage where Saul of Tarsus, the, the Jewish name, so to speak, of the Apostle Paul, where he says that, uh, you know, he quotes Isaiah, I will provoke you to anger, he says, you know, and then to jealousy uh, by a foolish nation. I will provoke you by a foolish nation. Now, in a, in a Jewish context, we that's, the, that's a Jewish way of saying the Gentiles. 
a foolish nation, a nation that doesn't know God, a nation that has no history with God, a nation that's nations that are not in covenant with God the way the Jewish people are. I'm going to provoke you. And that's what Bert did. He provoked me not by his intellectual arguments, but by the fact that he was so convinced that he was so given to this man, Jesus, that he be- in whom he believed, that he'd go out on the streets and give out tracts and he would, you know, dedicate himself to his church. And I just knew something happened with him because before that, he, you know, Bert, you know, his highest aspiration was to be like Elvis Presley. But, you know, all of a sudden he wanted to be like Billy Graham. <laughs> so he had had, a, he had had a transformation. And uh, that was what provoked me. It, was, it made me angry. That's why we broke up our act. Bert and Marty broke up. And I went my way and he went his way. And I just got as far away from Christians as I could. And I was angry because I thought, what right does he have to tell me as a Jew, that I'm going to go to hell, or I'm going to miss out on God, or I'm not going to go to heaven. What right does he have to tell me that? I mean, I can't, I can't abide by this. But it provoked me enough to get a Bible for myself. And I started reading, I think I remember the first passage I read, did not impact me, but I but it impacted me enough to remember that every time I come to this passage, I I'm reminded that I bought this little Bible, not this Bible, but I bought this little Bible in New York City. That's where we were living in New York City. And I bought myself a little Bible just so I could disprove what Bert believed. I thought, you know. I went to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. I was a, you know, I was eighth in my class at a 200 member class of Jewish people. They were pretty smart kids. You know, I'm, I'm pretty smart. So if anyone can figure this out, I can figure this out. So I started reading the Bible so that I could unbelieve it. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the first passage, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And it, this is a passage of, of Isaiah to the Jewish people, basically saying, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, you know it's, a, it's, a, it's a passage for the future. But in that particular moment of time, I didn't realize it at the time. But now when I look back on it, it was God's invitation, you know. And from that point on, reading that Bible... I was wrestling with God, you know, the way Jacob wrestled with the angel, you know, I was wrestling against God, you know, I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this. Finally, though, it came to pass where, uh, I don't know if I should keep talking or let you, uh, no, this is good. Well, so, so after Bert and Marty broke up, I went and I played in piano bars and things like that. And just kind of, I was just living a lifestyle where, you know, quite frankly, didn't seem like it was a lifestyle that was going to lead me straight to hell. But at the time, it seemed like the right lifestyle. You know, I was a young man in New York City. I was doing things that ought not be done, but I was doing them because, hey, that's what people do. You know, it was 1970s, um, late 70s. 
but I was still provoked by everything about Bert. I couldn't get it out of my head. Hmm. And one day I gave a concert, uh, Bert's manager and my manager, a man named Johnny King, he, he managed us in the Catskill Mountains, which was the, what we call the Borscht Belt. That's where Bert and I were performers, uh, upstate New York. Uh, they, have, they used to have hotels up there that have shows and things like that. Well, he was managing both of us separately now. And he put on a concert for me right across from Carnegie Hall. Not Carnegie Hall, but it was something called Cammy Hall. And it was a concert of all this music I had written with my cousin, Dennis Kleinman, who incidentally was is the fellow who wrote all the music for a show called Reading Rainbow, which was a very big show here on PBS. But at the time, he and I were writing songs, did this whole concert expecting to have some kind of record deal or, you know, Barry Manlow, Billy Joel, Elton John type of record deal, nothing, zero. So I was playing this piano bar and uh, down the street and I said, you know, I think maybe I'll give a shot at California. So I packed up my, my stuff and, and just went to California, just like that, just kind of retired from my piano bar, <laughs> if you can do that. And uh, got a plane, came to California with all these songs that I'd written with my cousin. And I was gonna, you know, be the songwriter. Well, I would go out, take my songs around, and then I'd come back to where I was staying. And I had a big, I didn't no longer have the little Bible, I had this big family Bible that I found in my parents' house in Cleveland. They must have gotten it on something like a sweepstake, you know, like they used to do these things like, you know, we'll send you this, you know, if you sign up for us, we'll send you a free gift. It must have been a free gift because they would not have had that Bible in their house. It's a big old family Bible with a picture. Of, you open it up and there's a picture of Jesus in it. And so I took that Bible with me to California and I would sit after I'd go out and, and try to promote these songs. I had no, you know, I had no money. I had nothing. I had just a couple hundred dollars. I was staying in friends places. And one place I was staying, it was my, my ex-girlfriend from high school's mother's apartment. <laughs> I was just, you know, just crashing everywhere. But I'd read the Bible after I'd go out during the day and getting no interest from anyone. I'd read the Bible. And as I started to read it, I started to read about, well, where it says right there. I mean, I opened up right to the New Testament, which to me was like going through the Berlin Wall. That was just like the scariest. <laughs> that's about the scariest thing you can do. And of course, the first thing I read, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, not Yeshua HaMashiach. I had no idea who that was. Hmm. But the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and so on and so on and so on. And then all of a sudden it's talking about Passover, and all of a sudden it's talking about even, uh, well, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, it even talks about Hanukkah in the Gospels, you know. So I was reading through the Gospels and starting to really like the person hmm. of Jesus, the person that I was supposed to be frightened of, the person who 
in in my world, our people blamed him for what happened to the Jewish people all through history. Not him specifically, but you cannot trust the Christian world. You know, we don't hate them. Mm. We don't hate them. We we you know we're we're part of the world, but you know, one day you're gonna get it. You know, and so. It was scary, but I started to pray. I didn't even know how to pray. Matter of fact, I had actually started to look up. You know, there's a passage that says, look up for your redemption is nigh. I started to look up into the sky in New York City when I was still there. And I'd look up and I would say, if you're for Jewish people, (laughs) if you're the Messiah and you're for Jewish people, you have to show me because I'm not going to do this on my own. This is not going to happen. So I got out to California and reading the Bible. And then one night I'm staying, I was staying with, you have to send the world I was in. Bert was my singing partner. We played in the Catskill Mountains. In the Catskill Mountains, we met this woman named Annie. Annie all she also had a singing act with another guy. But she's an actress as well. So she'd moved to Los Angeles previous. So she was helping me out. She was helped because we were all friends. But she'd been praying for me for years because she too, with Bert, they, they had gone to this rock church, this very Pentecostal, Holy Roland church right there in the middle of Manhattan. And uh, that's another way I joke with people and say, you know, Bert, was became Pentecostal and he began to Pentecost me every chance he got, <laughs> which is what, what how it felt. But um, so Annie was there in Los Angeles, so she was helping me out. Well, one night I was watching her apartment. She went to a Bible study and I was looking out her window. I remember I'm, I'm praying, whatever prayer, I'm not sure what, how to pray, but I'm just looking up you know, show me, show me, because I'm agitated about all this stuff. Hmm. And one night I'm looking out her window overlooking the Sunset Strip. And I know now it was a telephone pole, (laughs) big old metal telephone pole. But that night I'm watching out the window and the way the light was hitting it, it was like a cross, like right, (laughs) right in the window. And I'm looking at it and somebody calls and says, is Annie home? I said, no, she's at a Bible study, but, uh, you know, who is this? Blah, blah, blah. And he says, and by the way, I think I'm having a religious experience. And they went, well, that's very nice. Have her call me when she gets home. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew something. I knew that I was being, I can't explain it but I knew somebody was watching my life and directing my life because things in my life were kind of falling into place in kind of good way not not career-wise but I could sense I got this apartment overlooking the Hudson River uh, in Manhattan which was a, a prime apartment that was uh, it, there was no way I should have gotten it I was seeing people on the street that all of a sudden I had, I don't know, I had this feeling that 
like uh, seeing movie stars on the street and talking to them, you know, and I, I, I know it sounds silly, but I could feel like, like somebody was, was making my life kind of doing something with my life that I, that wasn't, that was not I. Mm. And so, so when I, when I started to look up and talk to whoever was up there, it felt like there was something following me, you know, watching me, someone. So when that cross, you know, now, now again, the cross is a controversial symbol yeah. Yeah. for many Jewish people. You know, even my own grandmother said that they used to, when the little Jewish kids would walk down the street in, in where she lived, uh, they would hit, the priest would hit the Jewish kids over the head with the cross, you know. So it's not a good symbol for a lot of Jewish people, you know. It's a, But for some reason, I don't know, I believe God calls us individually well, not entirely. God calls nations. You know, he called the nation of Israel, but he called first Abraham, you know, called Abraham first. And, and he had to keep, you know, he always has to call people individually, even in the midst of a, uh, of a, of a community and a, and a nation. But his individual, I think he just knew that, uh, I can't speak for the Lord, but I think he kind of knew that I would know that the cross meant Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, yeah. yeah, the cross, that means Jesus. So, so in my particular encounter, so Anne came home and I said to her, you know, I, I think I, I think I believe because I was already starting to really like the person of Jesus really be, see, I didn't really believe in him as Messiah yet, but I, but well, whatever problem I have with him has nothing to do with him. It's my problem because he's he's pretty good. And, and most of all, he was more Jewish than I was. Everything, if you read the scriptures with an open mind, you'll see that Yeshua, Jesus, is a forgive me, Miles. We didn't turn our phone off. You will see that Yeshua is everything he did was in the context of his Jewish world, his Jewish life. So that kind of did it for me because that was my prayer. You have to show me if you're for the Jews. Mm -hmm. And he did. And that night I prayed with Annie. And then two days later, she took me to something called the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. And the pastor was a man named Ken Gullickson. I don't remember what he preached. I hate to say it because I wish I had, but I think I was just so, it was odd for me to be in a church because earlier she had taken me to the beach to hear another guy preach. His name was Hal Lindsey. Do you know who Hal Lindsey is? Yeah. yeah. And he was sitting on the beach, you know, God also is, it has a good sense of humor. I mean, he knew I wanted to be in California and amongst all these people. So I'm sitting on the beach in California, listening to this guy preaching. And again, I don't remember what he preached either, but I think, I think I wasn't thinking so much as feeling, to be honest with you. I was yeah. like feeling, I don't mean feeling like emotion. I mean, feeling my, <laughs> like, where am I? And, uh, he brings a guy up to do communion, which is the most Christian of things to do. 
and he says, <laughs> okay, get brother Gideon, let's do the prayer for communion. And Gideon goes, here's over the bread. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech halom over the wine. And I thought to myself, oof, there's Jews here. <laughs> so not only... Not only is Jesus Jewish, but there's Jews who believe in him. I knew that there were, Bert also had some friends who were Jewish, but I, I just kind of didn't let, didn't let that sink in too much. All that to say, she dragged me to the, to the vineyard. I wanted her to take me home because by this time, I'm provoked to anger, then to jealousy. Now I'm provoked to absolute, ah, because I'd said the prayer, but I thought, Maybe that's enough, you know. Maybe I can just leave it at that. You Let know? me just dip my toe in. Yeah, exactly. So she takes me to the vineyard, and then he does. Of course, Ken uh, was out of the Calvary Chapel movement, but you know, a man named Chuck Smith who really started the kind of the Jesus Revolution. So I, I, I always think of it. I'm, I'm, I'm like the last. There was a Jesus wave in this country, all over the world, really, and I was like the last, the last trickle of that wave. And uh, he asks, come on up if you believe and you need the Messiah, you know, you didn't even say Messiah, you know, you Jesus. And do you feel like you want to be, you know, born again? You know, you know, you, you know, he's speaking to you. I don't even remember exactly the words, but it was that that kind of invitation. Sure enough, I grabbed Annie's hand, walked up to the front and, you know, knelt down and, uh, they gave me a Bible and they, I always tell people, they gave me a hug and they said a prayer. And my first response was, Oy vey, how am I going to tell my mother about this? <laughs> but that began my journey. So really it was, you know, to be, to put it in a historical context, I was provoked to jealousy by a non, by non-Jewish people who were, who were serving and loving my Messiah, who is now their Messiah, and uh, and somehow through their prayers, and somehow through the word reading of His Word, this stubborn, frustrated, angry, <laughs> sinful, hard-hearted, and and stiff-necked Jewish guy from Cleveland, Ben bowed his knee and received Yeshua, received Jesus as his savior. And so here I am. <laughs> I guess almost the first miracle in all of that is that you could see the sky looking up in New York. Um, <laughs> for people listening. Uh, if you, you know what? Been... You know, that that's, that's very funny. But as a matter of fact, I just... We, you know, as we're talking, uh, we're talking to you having been in New York just mm. a few days ago. And I was telling my wife, Jennifer, who, you know, she, she and I have such, we have such parallel stories, you know, we didn't really know each other, but our stories are so parallel. But I was telling her, this is the, this is the street I was on when I looked up and I, you know, I looked up because I had just had lunch with a friend of mine. Who I, I'm not a believer at this time, who was a college friend. She was now in California working for Disney and doing all these exciting things. And I got a little, I got a little 
jealous, you know, kind of like, wow, that must be exciting out there. And I looked up and it's funny that you had said that because I looked up and I, I remember it as almost the first time I ever looked up in New York because you don't look up in New York. <laughs> you look down to see what you're stepping on, number one. And, and, and you know, you, you're, you're like, you're, you're trying to navigate where you're walking. And, and so that, that's very funny, Andrew. But I actually <laughs> did look up and I had the thought. Uh, I wish I could remember my thoughts from like last week as well as I can from 40 years ago. <laughs> but I remember having the thought, the same sky that's over New York is over Los Angeles. In other words, to be interpreted is this, you're not stuck here. There's a whole world. You're you're free. You know, you're free to go find me, basically, if you need to. So it took an entire yeah, it took the miracle of seeing the sky in in New York to see the the cross in Los Angeles. I don't know how you would say that's that. Wild. But yeah, that's amazing that you picked up on that. But yes, and it is all about looking up because now, you know, at this point in life, you're still looking up because since I've become a believer, uh, I mean, you know, every Jew of my age that became a believer thought he was the only Jewish believer who mm. ever existed. Now, as I said, I knew Bert knew some Jewish people, but my thinking about them was, well, how Jewish could they have been? You know, if they became Christians, how Jewish could they have been? Yeah. <laughs> but every Jew thinks I'm the first one. You know, I, there's nobody. But since then, you know, the Lord has brought, as a matter of fact, the Jesus the untold story of the Jesus revelation, when I say it's untold, it's not untold. People have told it, but I mean, most people thinking about the Jesus movement in this country or in the world, often they don't include the fact that that per capita, you know, proportionally, the Jesus movement was populated by many, 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 many Jewish people in proportion to, 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 so it was a move and some people, and now I'm sorry, I hope I'm not just babbling, but some people, you know, have done the research where they tie, they literally tie revival movements to what happens with Israel. Hmm. For instance, you know, hmm. the, the six day wars, 1967, hmm. the reunification of Jerusalem, then came the Jesus movement, kind of right on the heels yeah. of that. So we're always we're always looking now. We're always looking at Israel. Always looking at Israel, or I like to say, yeah, keep your eye on Zion. You know, always yeah. looking at Israel because because the spiritual and the natural are connected that way. I'm convinced. I, I'm sure you are as yeah. well. Yeah, that's it. Keeping your eye on Israel in the times that we're living in is a whole other subject. That yes, yes. And <laughs> I yeah. talk about for quite some time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I was going to say if there's any other, there really aren't that many other gaps to fill in except to say my parents, you know, God bless them. They're no longer here on the earth. And I, and I, uh, I'm sad to say I don't know. I don't know uh, where my parents are. I don't, they never had, 
a confession of faith in, in my presence. And Jenny's mom and dad are gone as well, both from Jewish backgrounds. And so for the Jewish believer, I believe like I believe that some people that are Jewish, they're, they're afraid to consider Jesus or Yeshua because if they do and they find out that he is <laughs> who, who, he, who he is, then all their history, all of their you know, background, all of the generations behind them are, have been wrong. And what does that mean about their eternal destiny and all that? Yeah. But, but uh, one has to, you just have to put on the different glasses and see, no, 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 this is, this is God's plan. This is God's plan all along, you know, to through the, well, just very quickly, you know, through, now see if I were Dr. Michael Brown, I could absolutely quote this from memory without having to look <laughs> at my body. But, um, you know, he says, you know, I love these passages, if I may. For yeah. I, do not desire, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, he's talking to non-Jewish people, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. This is Romans 11, starting at verse 25. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. That was me. That was me. Blindness. I was completely blind. You know, I'm going to New York. I'm going to California. I'm flying blind, completely blind, spiritually speaking, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, that, that doesn't apply to me specifically, but uh, here was Bert and Annie, my Gentile friends, who were filled with the, with the, with the, with the glory of God, you know, mm -hmm. filled with God. And, and in a sense, their fullness was a provocation to me. And in a sense, that's, I, that's kind of how I see that passage. You know, there's, there's, there's God's working amongst the nations, God's working amongst the nations. But in the meantime, there's a timeline, there's a time, there's a set time at which God, only God knows when that fullness is. And so Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. That's, you know, looking up and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And this is the part that I'm referencing here. And this is all, in a sense, in my heart, thanking Bert, thanking Annie, thanking the church, you know, thanking the cross. You know, I'm not one of those. I'm considered a messianic artist, you know, singer, but I've never been, I've never been, uh, I've always been uh, also, uh, my whole life has been part of the church. So I, I never had, I've never had that. Uh, now I'm not talking about specific theological things, but I'm talking about experientially. I've never had that wrestling match mm. too much between, you know, I, I mean, I know who I am as a believer, but I know that I owe my faith to the non-Messianic, you know, the Messianic the people who believe in Messiah but are not Jewish. If I wouldn't be here if it were not for them, this is the passage that describes it. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. They're talking about us, the Jewish people. 
But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable. And this is the part I love. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, which just means we as Israel in ancient times, we did not receive Messiah as our king. We, a remnant did, but we as a nation did not. And we were disobedient. And, and uh, but, but, God, but Paul speaking to the Gentiles, he said, you were once disobedient to God, but have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. That's us, Israel. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So, mm-hmm. for, so as a Jewish person, I know that I'm indebted to the church. I'm indebted to the people who have kept the message of Jesus, Yeshua, alive all these centuries for a guy like me from Cleveland, Ohio, to get the message and get the word. And, and in the same measure, in the same measure, uh, God's had mercy on me through them. And so God's telling us all that, you know, some people, some people magnify or almost idealize the Jewish believer, the Jewish experience, but that the the scripture does not, or the apostolic writings do not. Hmm. They tell us the way it is. Every one of us, Jew and non-Jew alike, has been disobedient, and God's had mercy on us all, and he's using us each other to provoke each other to understand that and to come to repentance and faith mm. in Yeshua. Yeah. Boy, and that was a lot of that was a lot of talking there. That, that's okay. I've got one other question before we finish, but <laughs> what you are describing biblically is termed the one new man, isn't it? Yes, it is. We are indebted to the Jewish people and you saying you're indebted to Christians or Gentiles yes. or nations yeah. who believe. And and it is that mutual Respect, recognition, indebtedness, yes. oneness yes. of the one new man that is the beauty and the miracle of the gospel. It is the miracle of the gospel. It truly is. And it never gets, it always gets more interesting as you go. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, because even now, you know, I'm seeing so many things happening in the earth and amongst people I know. Mm. And there's something, I, this is, this is going to sound a little lame to say it, but it's, I'm talking Marty speak, you know, there, there's something afoot, I believe, in the, in the, I think I kind of know what I'm trying to say here. My whole journey has been in the context of an America and a world that has had, even though America isn't a Christian nation 
in terms of uh, you know that you know our Declaration of Independence and our and our Constitution. No, we're we're a people. The sovereignty of the individual. You know, create. You know, create endowed by our Creator with these rights. But we're not a we're not under a we're not a Christian nation by decree or declaration. And so even though I've been a, it's a radical lifestyle to, to become, a, to be a Jew who believes in Jesus, that's radical. That's a radical thing yes. to do. Now it wasn't way, well, it even was way back then to believe in Yeshua, because if it wasn't, if it were not radical, the whole nation would have believed in him, but yeah. they didn't. But to believe in him after your gospel to the Jews and Gentiles has been Christianized, <laughs> to come to faith in Yeshua then is even more radical because you're coming into a world that doesn't look like it resembles your world. However, I hope it's okay that I say this to you guys. And yeah, to yeah, yeah. But for me living in America, I haven't actually had to be radical i hope you won't kick me off your show by saying that but because i because i lived in a a world that even though it's not a christian nation has been so easy i don't know how else to say it for for you to believe and say what you want because well whatever man mm -hmm. you know whatever and and our all of our systems are set up to that everything here where i live was born out of Christian, <laughs> Christian, and you know, Judeo-Christian yeah. thought, Judeo-Christian, everything, our colleges, our hospitals, our everything, and our schools. But now it's it's not that way anymore. Our foundations are being destroyed little by little by little. So the world that Marty gets has lived in for low these many decades is not the world that my that I'm going to be living in with my children and grandchildren it's yeah. not the same world so all that to say is what's underfoot to me is a rumbling and a rest you know there's something underneath where we're being called to be to live not necessarily, we're being called to a radical lifestyle, whether we like it or not, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And because the systems are falling out from under. But of course, I, yeah. I have, we have a friend, Tom Doyle. You know, Tom and Joanne Doyle. Have you ever mm. spoken with them? Or you no, I've spoken to them, but know who they are. They're wonderful. Yeah, you should have them sometime. They're, they're fantastic. But uh, Tom says, uh, Joanne, his wife, told me that Tom always says people like to say that things are falling apart, but they're not. Things are coming together. If, yeah. Exactly. So, so all that to say is the world that the prophets saw, that Yeshua told us about, that world that is going to one day be rolled up like a scroll, you know. Mm. In my lifetime, I haven't really, really confronted that, to be honest. I've had a good, wonderful life, you know, singing 
the gospel and going to churches who love me and congregate messianic congregations and conferences who love me. That's all been great. And I'm so grateful to God for it, but I don't believe that's going to be the future. We are, yeah. we are being called to actually live our light in the midst of darkness. Mm -hmm. And that for a guy like me is a real challenge. So I'm looking up and I'm looking around and Jenny and I are, you know, kind of holding on to each other closer than we've ever been because we know that we, we haven't, we haven't finished yet. Mm. We don't know, you know, our, our friend Don Finto, who uh, uh, is kind of like the Bishop of Nashville, <laughs> you know, who wrote this great book uh, called your people shall be my people. He always says the best is yet to come. Yeah. And he's 91 years old. So he knows what he's talking about. So all that yeah. to say is, uh, is all that to say is whether I have lived the radical lifestyle that I was called to or not heretofore, I will not be able to avoid it from here on out. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, I mean, this is probably, uh, this is a whole other conversation. We have to have you yes. back to dive into some other things and even talk about the days that we're, we're going into. But, yes. you know, you, I mean, to, to live a radical lifestyle can look like different things. And um, I think that you're right for many people and for, for Christians as well, not just, you know, Messianic Jews, um, even, even Orthodox Jews. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. they've, they've had some tough times with antisemitism, Jewish people generally right. speaking with antisemitism, right. but right. for, for believers, we are entering into a new season yes. and those pressures are going to increase. But I think that, um, you know, you can look at your kids, Misha, mm -hmm. you can look at your grandkids, but, mm -hmm. um, the way you've raised Misha, I think mm -hmm. when you look at the things that she's she's standing up for, speaking out against, mm -hmm. she's doing that because of a, ray, a way that you and Jennifer had raised her. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have raised her in a way which gave her the boldness and the courage to stand mm -hmm. up, to speak out against certain things. So you may think, well, I haven't really had to live a kind of radical lifestyle mm -hmm. um, up until this point. But mm -hmm. I think in the way that you have done certain things, you have lived a radical lifestyle. Um, so maybe maybe you haven't given yourself enough credit uh, for the things that you <laughs> well, have done up until this point. A amen, brother. Well, you know, sometimes sometimes it takes some time. Thank you for saying that. And I agree with that. I do agree with that. And I am. Uh, I do see what so many have suffered and so many have risked and so many have have given yeah and sometimes it, it it does provoke to get back to that word again it does provoke me a bit because because i go wow that's that's man i you know you know you see people that do that and you admire it but more than admire it you aspire to it hmm. and you just you just you just pray for the grace that you would have you know yeah. to experience that but i i think that what you're saying is true because I mean, I don't think of myself as radical necessarily, but if I'm in the midst or I'm around even my own Jewish brethren who don't believe, our, our worldview is 
so far apart. I mean, we, we see the world so differently that, that God, I know for a fact that heaven itself has, has, has sought me and bought me, you know, he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Heaven itself has formed me. And of course, we're su supposed to be conformed to his image day by day, right? From, from dust to glory, right? As he says on your shirt, right. we're from dust to glory to glory. Uh, I don't see, and maybe this is for, for many others, the same thing. I don't see in myself how radical my life became, mm. but it doesn't yeah. resemble, it doesn't resemble at all the life it would be had, had I not, had I not come into the presence of Yeshua and his people. Yeah, it, it I would, think it would not be the same life. People might have a preconceived idea of what being radical looks like. Right. And I think ultimately what's the most radical thing that you can do and it is to be faithful to what mm -hmm. God has asked you to do, whatever okay. that may look like, if you remain faithful to that, because we've done, we did a previous episode with um, a pastor in Canada that was arrested recently, um, wow. and the clips went viral all over the place. But the, the title of his episode is "Faithfulness is Costly," mm. and whatever you are faithful in, to remain faithful to it will cost you something, and mm -hmm. to stay on course. Uh, mm -hmm. is a radical thing to do so whatever it is that you are called to be faithful in if mm -hmm. you are being faithful to it you will be living some sort of radical lifestyle that people can learn from it and gain uh, insight into and you don't and, and comparing ourselves with what we're coming into and what we came from i i one of my favorite verses is of david and it says of him he served the purpose of god in his generation mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, for us to live radically for him in our generation and serve the purpose he has for us in our generation in order that the generations after us, mm -hmm. too, will live that. And we don't have a Judges 2.10 situation again mm -hmm. where we have a generation that doesn't know their God. So yeah. I really, too, um, one of the things that we really try and instill in people is that God is looking first for us to produce godly children mm -hmm. and for us to... Uh, that's what it says in Malachi. Why did he join them together? You could bring forth godly offspring. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say, as, as Andrew does, you know, to you, Marty, the heart of radicalness is to raise godly children. It all yeah, spin, spins out from there. And, uh, yeah. And, I'm, and we're very, very pleased and proud of Misha. You know, she's our one and only. Mm. But uh, if that's if that's true, what you're saying, then then I've actually found myself. I don't know if it is because I'm getting to a certain age, but I've often found myself saying to Misha, honey, you know, I get discouraged sometimes and with myself and sometimes I don't feel I'm, you know, measuring up to my own. either either what God expects of me or what I expect of myself. Sometimes it's hard to tell. But I, I've, I've gotten recently to say to her, you know, when I look at you and I see how you love the Lord and see how you're serving him and see the kind of person that you are, 
you know, as as a, an old song, Butterfly Kisses, you know, used to uh, saying, you know, uh, well, all I've done, you know, everything I've done, I must have done something right. <laughs> because, I, you know, when I look at her, I say, wow, you know, Jenny and I somehow produced Amisha, you know, and now she's producing her godly sons. And so praise the Lord for that. You, you, you all are very encouraging and very affirming, which I, I like that. And I need that. <laughs> we need all need that. that. Yes, we all need that. That's true. Well, but any time you need yes. any, just call on us because <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we really, really do honor, respect, appreciate the faithfulness you have had to the call of God on your life. We appreciate oh. um, the uniqueness of the call that God has, you know, that go back mm -hmm. to the modern day psalmist. And we mm -hmm. appreciate so much of the way that you have touched our lives and touched more people oh, than you probably know. So, you know, yes, we you. are grateful. Thousands are grateful. And above all, the heart of the Father, I'm sure, is intensely um, proud of you as you are of Misha. And he ah. says, and I think he says the same to you as you say to Misha, when I look at you, Marty, everything was worth it. Yeah, Aww. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come and well, talk I'm to us and share I feel some like, of your I story. Feel like I, I feel like, a, oh, thank you. Thank you, brother. I interrupted you, Andrew. Oh, no, you're fine. Say, I feel like I, I just sh should send you a check for my therapy session. <laughs> that was really so great. Thank you. Yeah, no wonder. And I love, by the way, you were, I interrupted you, Andrew, but I want to say how wonderful it is to see you two doing just what Misha and Jenny and I are doing, you know, Lador Vador, generation to generation. That's fantastic. So I love that. Yeah, Moses. Yeah, Moses gets to go in, too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you and I have to make sure of that because we're not going to be the generation that dishonors God and gets left out. So that's right. You know, we have to lead the way like like Mordecai did. We're, we're going to be right there. So. Amen, yeah. The next generation have to watch out because we're not going to stop storming on. <laughs> Amen. Thank Andrew, you, Marty. I interrupted you. Oh, no, thank I was just you. saying thank you so much for taking the time, for sharing some of your story with us. We really appreciate that. Uh, we'd love to have you back. I mean, you've touched on a number of different things along the way right. that we can dive deeper into, the times we're living in and all that kind of stuff. It would be really interesting. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, bless you. you. Let and thank you. Let me just say one one, one line. Mm -hmm. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. This is Misha's song. <laughs> may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace number six and give you peace 24 through 26 and give you peace the ironic benediction from our high priest to you and give you Shalom, y'all, as we say here in Tennessee. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.